the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Good afternoon. At least I hope you're having a good afternoon. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio program dedicated to answering your phone calls so that we can answer your questions. Whatever you have going on in your mind, in your heart, what we believe as Christians and why, maybe there's some specific doctrines that are troubling to you, Uh, maybe you're just going through something difficult in your life, we'll do the best that we can to answer those questions for you. The way to ask those questions is to call 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvaryessay.com. Or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, especially with wet streets out there, please be careful and use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Before we get started, I'd like to ask you for prayer. Um, Terry McDonald uh, is a man in our church who is a... Uh, sometimes caller to this radio program. Um, he is in the hospital in intensive care, uh, had a heart attack yesterday, or at least the beginnings of a heart attack, and has had some surgery for some bypass. It looks like he's going to be okay, but uh, we would sure be comforted knowing that you would be praying for Terry. He's called in many, many times, and uh, he's just a guy that wherever he goes, he tells people about Jesus. He's a different kind of guy in a wonderful way. But his primary directive in life is to tell people about Jesus. And he really, really does a good job about it. So we would appreciate your prayers. Let me go to the questions that we've had. Got some interesting ones today. Uh, Here is a question from our mobile app from Nacho. He says, Pastor Ron, when Jesus returns seven years after the rapture, will the seven years be counted by the Gregorian calendar or the Hebrew calendar or the Julian calendar? Not sure we don't really have any way of knowing that. Uh, here's, here's what we know uh, for sure. Um, the Great Tribulation deals again with Israel, uh, the focus of the world, the focus from heaven specifically is all and only about Israel. So it would be my guess, and that's all it is, it would be my guess that they would go to a Hebrew calendar, which is a calendar with 360-day years. I think when you get to some of the troubling numbers at the end of Revelation about how long it's going to take to clean up after the the, uh, the the destruction of Jesus' enemies, those things, I think if you put it in the perspective of the Hebrew calendar, it makes a lot of sense. So uh, probably... The Hebrew calendar, but we don't know for sure. Uh, all we know is it will be seven years. Let me just think. Of, add one thing to this, Nacho. Uh, I'm, you know, uh, my mind just works this way, but but I, I just like messing with these ideas in my head. You know, when we go to heaven to be with Jesus, the rapture of the church, 
we know we're going to be there for seven years. But that's seven years as the Earth sees. We'll be there for seven years outside of time and space. Now, what's the seven years going to look like? It'll probably be like a minute. You know, Paul and I would get up and say, it's already February the 6th. I mean, the month is going so fast already. It just seems like our Christmas program was last week. Well, I think that's what the wedding banquet of the Lord is going to be like. I think we're going to be there for seven years. The earth is going through the Great Tribulation. And I think for us, it's just going to go by like a minute. And then we'll return into time and space. How how do you reconcile that? We leave um, being outside of time and space. And we enter again into time and space. And then for a thousand years, we're going to be... Um, once again in a time and space dimension. So those are just weird things. I, I don't know why I think about them, but I do. I'm just strange. Here's an, uh, from our email inbox from Karen. Um, Karen wants to know, who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? Paul refers to in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. Are there other rulers in heaven? Uh, Karen, the the reference here is uh, for uh, angelic beings. When you see uh, phrases like uh, authorities in the heavenly realms or the prince of the air, the rulers of the air in the heavenly realms, it's always talking about angels. Now, in this particular case, it refers to both good angels and fallen angels. Uh, Often it's reserved for... Uh, just um, uh, fallen angels, you know, are, we battle not against uh, flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities. Um, that, that, that's a reference to the, the, the spiritual warfare that goes on. But in this particular context, Karen, it's good angels and bad angels. Good angels we know because Peter tells us that angels long to look into the things of grace. Uh, Paul implies that uh, they're sort of marveling at what God is doing here through us, like they don't have all of the answers up there either. So um, when, when God shows himself loving and powerful by moving on this earth, uh, the angels are, are curious. When we give invitations here, Karen, um, I always tell the people that the angels are looking over the edge of time and space, getting ready to rejoice, because Jesus said that when a single sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. Why? Because God himself is rejoicing. So here we've got a reference to angels, both good ones and fallen angels as well. So I hope that helps, Karen. Thank you for listening to the program. Uh, 340-9585, we love your live calls because you're more interesting than I am. Here is a question from Reggie. Um, Let me take Reggie's uh, later. Here's one from Jasper. He says, do you think preachers should speak out of controversial or should should speak about controversial topics? Uh, Jasper, you know, when when a preacher preaches the word, especially if you're going through it systematically uh, the way I do when I teach here at Calvary Chapel, uh, you can't help but to speak out on controversial topics. Um, they're just going to be there. Um, we're going to talk about um, homosexuality when we get to Romans chapter 1. We're going to talk about uh, wives submit to your husbands when we get to Ephesians chapter 5. All of these things in the world that we live in are very controversial. Now, when you're doing it because the Bible is doing it, and by that I mean it's not your pet topic for the day, but it's you're, you're, you're expositing a passage of Scripture that deals with these things, uh, that's the right way to do it. But never, Jasper, um, just to, to be controversial and certainly not to, to tell anybody what our opinion is on a particular subject. I think one of the things that we forget, and this is what uh, much of evangelicalism has been guilty of for a long time, um, it's our job, it's our duty to speak out from the pulpits about these these issues in the church and in the world that we live in. But, but remember, that's not our job. Our job, my job as a pastor, is to teach the Bible and in the process equip the saints for the work of ministry, whatever it is that God's called them to do. And uh, I think sometimes, you know, it's easy to to preach to the crowd, you know, you get um, a bunch of people saying amen because you're saying things that are going to be universally accepted uh, in a Christian audience. But remember, what we've got to do is teach the Bible 
Uh, I am so grateful, Jasper, that uh, I have been permitted by the Lord to to be in a situation where I don't have to come up with topics to preach about. I don't have to come up with funny stories or sermon illustrations. Uh, all I have to do is use the the construct of the verse by verse teaching that we're going through um, this Sunday at Calvary Chapel. We're going to be uh, in Romans chapter 14, the first four verses, and I'm going to be talking about legalism. You, you can't help but to talk about legalism in those those verses. But I've got the constraints of the verse by verse Bible study that makes it very very important. So. Um, Sometimes we preachers think that people need to know what our opinion is on something. We do not need to know what Pastor Ron's opinion is. What we need to know is what the Word of God says. Let's go to Johnson City and talk with Wes on line one. Wes, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure, Wes. Listen, um, you know, sometimes... Uh, regarding this grace message versus works, um, I hear pastors talk about um, the two, and it seems to be a mixed message. I know that the Bible, you know, it's, it's clear, but there's times when that seems to be mixed. I mean, are we forgiven, as the Bible says we are, and that he would... Uh, remove our sins and remember them no more or do we have to uh, you know uh, I mean will we be judged for our performance and keeping um, you know keeping away from uh, sin um, knowing that you know we all have different sin issues in our life and yes it'd be really nice to live a you know totally converted life to where we're you know replicate jesus but you know we fall short of that and this battle that we're in regarding uh spiritual forces that seem to tempt mankind the christians especially the christians um you know we're told to encourage one another you know, and to gather with like-minded people. But my question is, you know, these works messages of saying that, um, you know, uh, if you're uh, if you're in sin, which is a problem, but I think sin has been taken care of at the cross. I think sin is still poses a problem because it's it's self-destructive. And it hurts mm-hmm. others around us. And God, I believe, uh, the Bible teaches that he chastens us. I mean, there's nothing worse than a Christian living in sin because he's miserable. And anyhow, there just seems, you know, it seems to be a mixed message. Um, yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. Anyway, if you could comment on that, I don't know what else to say. But, Thank you, know, you Wes. I, I can do that. I lean way more towards the grace message, thinking that, he has forgiven us. I think that brings freedom uh, to connect with God and understanding in relationship what he has done. And we'd want, we would want to please him, uh, not not have to. <laughs> Thank you. I can I can work with that. I appreciate it very, very much. Wes, there's a bunch of things to, to mention here. You know, the Bible, uh, at least on the surface, would appear to send mixed messages. It's not just preachers that do it. It's the Bible. You know, the Apostle Paul tells us, um, the same author tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, he also tells us there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So uh, I think this whole tension between grace and works is sort of artificially understood. Now, here's what we need to remember always is that grace hates sin. And I think too often, and this is probably why you get the the uh, confusion from, from messages that we hear from preachers, um, too too often we think, well, you know, I can't be perfect, so if I if I sin, it's okay, God's forgiven me. You're absolutely right, Wes, that all your sin has been dealt with on the cross, past, present, and future. That's why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it is equally true on sort of the tension side of this, this controversy. It's equally true 
that we ought to then be so grateful that we're not condemned, so grateful that we who are not perfect uh, are, are invited to heaven anyway. We ought to be so grateful that instead of walking in sin, we walk with Jesus. So there's a positional um, ideology on sin. Yes, our sins, past, present, future, forgiven. But there's also a practical position on sin. You see, if I'm in willful sin, and again, I'm going to just kind of use what you you um, offered in your question. If I say, well, you know, I can't be perfect and I don't want to feel guilty about this sin. Uh, if we use that as an excuse to sin, as so many professing Christians do, then what we're doing, according to the Apostle Paul, is we're trampling all over the grace of God, trampling it underfoot. We're taking advantage or even better, taking for granted what God has done. So yes, we ought to work at our salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, we ought to walk worthy of the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ and walk worthy of the name Paul says. And I think too often what happens is that we sort of use God's grace as a license to sin. Now, I'm not suggesting that's your position at all, Wes, because I too lean way, way, way on the side of grace. I have not lived one minute of one day condemned since I've been saved. I mean, as a young Christian, I'm sure I had some moments where I felt really, really bad. In fact, I can remember one incident for two weeks. I just felt like God had removed himself from my life because of some willful sin that I committed. I, he told me what to do. I didn't do that because I was afraid. And God sort of pulled me into the darkness and let me know what it would be like if I chose to live my life away from him. And I didn't want that ever again. After that two weeks, I was so happy that the Lord's presence and light was back in. Now, that wasn't guilt. That was just God teaching me a lesson. On the other hand, if I choose to sin because God has forgiven me, then I ought to feel guilty. It's, guilt is a good thing when you're guilty. But the best thing about feeling guilty is that if we confess our sins, and that First John 1, 9 passage means to agree with God about sin, then he's faithful and just to forgive us, and our slate is completely clean again. Our fellowship is restored. So here's what we need to understand, that we will relate to God on the basis of our closeness to him. If I'm walking with Jesus, I'm not going to do bad things. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect, but when I'm not, I'm going to hate myself for him. I'm going to say, oh, I'm so sorry, Jesus. On the other hand, any professing Christian that can just say, well, you know, I sin, no big deal, nobody's perfect. Well, then we got a real problem. So James, who's caused a lot of this controversy between the tension between grace and works, he says, you know, you show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by what I do. And his whole point there is that, that when we understand grace, when we are walking in faith, the result ought to be gratitude that produces good works. Now, I'm not talking about good things. Good things will happen. But the good works that James is referring to, the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit that Paul uh, list for us in Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control against these things. There are no, is no law. So we have all of those things, but that's what the, the life of a Christian ought to, ought to provide. Now, if you're just talking about ordinary sin, let's say you get angry and you curse. All you have to do is say, oh, I don't want that filth coming out of my mouth, Lord. I'm so sorry. You shouldn't feel guilty for one minute because the minute you say you're sorry and you mean it, Again, your slate is clean. But we never want to walk willfully in sin and then make ourselves feel okay about it because, after all, our sins are forgiven. Now, here's the judgment that we're going to face. And it's also true, Wes, that Christians are going to be judged in heaven, not for our salvation. But 1 Corinthians 3 and Romans chapter 12 talks about a Bama seat, a, a reward seat. It's interesting, the Olympics start this week, the Winter Olympics. And in the ancient Olympics, the Bama seat was where the winning athletes received their, their crowns. Well, we're going to be in one of those judgments. 
And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that our works are going to be judged whether they're good or bad. The literal translation for bad there is good for nothing. And that really makes a lot of sense to me. Here's what I did. Was it good or was it good for nothing? Well, if my motive was to serve Jesus, if my motive was to please Jesus, then it was good. It will be a, a, a golden work and it will survive the trial. Uh, if it's a wood, hay, and stubble work, it'll be burned up. What's a wood, hay, and stubble work? Well, anything that I did with the wrong motive. Even if we do the right thing, but we did it for us instead of for Jesus, if we did the right thing, even though we were grumbling under our breath doing it because we didn't want to do it, if we did the right thing so that others would notice how spiritual we are, well, there's no reward for those kind of works. And the rewards matter. There's a lot of emphasis giving on the rewards in heaven. And I think sometimes, Wes, the people that espouse the view that you asked about uh, are thinking, well, you know, as long as I get to heaven, that's enough. It's not. That day where we stand before the Lord to have our works judged, where we're going to receive crowns of righteousness, is going to be a, 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 a terrible moment for a lot of people. I've had people take issue. No, nothing in heaven is going to be terrible. Well, Jesus said he's going to wipe away every tear. The tears have to come from somewhere. They're not the tears that we shed on earth. They're the tears at that reward seat. I don't want to stand before Jesus and find out that there was stuff that he wanted me to do, but I didn't do, either because I chose to sin or uh, because I just didn't want to take a risk or take a step of faith. I don't want to miss out on one thing God has. So I think that tension, Wes, is instructive and purposeful in Scripture because what we ought to do is want to live our lives. When Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, when Jesus said that, that's something that we really need to, to uh, take to heart. And if we're not letting our light shine, then we're no longer salt. We're no longer light in the world. And we really have no purpose in our day-to-day life. You know, if we're to worship God, if we're to serve God, those are works. Now, one other thing, and I'm pretty sure, Wes, you didn't mean this when you when you said it, but the way you said it, you talk about uh, works. Um God doesn't need our works. He just delights in them. And because he delights in them, then we should delight in them as well. And once again, I think there's a lot of professing Christians who use the fact that, well, I'm going to heaven. They don't challenge themselves. They don't walk and fulfill. And you're right. God chastens them. But, you know, it's easy. I tell our church all the time that when you say no to the Lord, um, it's easy to say no, easier to say no the next time. And when you keep saying no, you fall in that pattern. And so you say, well, you know, I'm going to heaven. God, God understands why I'm doing this. He really doesn't. I think we forget that we're not our own. We're bought with a price. I think we forget that we owe him everything. Now, obviously, it's a debt that we can't pay, but it is a debt that we shouldn't try to pay. And when we strive, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Remember this, Wes, we always do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because all my striving will produce nothing but bad things. But if I'm working, as Paul says, striving with the power that so effectively works in me, speaking about the power of God, then marvelous things happen. So these are things that we really ought to focus on. Um, our lives should produce fruit. Jesus said, you will know those who are his by their fruit. And he appointed us to bear abundant fruit. And if we're living in sin, if we're making continual choices to sin, if we're spiritually lazy and sort of drifting away from our first love, well, then we're really not producing abundant fruit. So, yeah, I think it's sort of like a promotion at work. If you work really hard, you've already got the job. But if you work really, really hard, then you get more opportunities, you get more money. You get more people saying, now, why don't you work like Wes? And I think the same thing is true here. The only difference is we often will work harder for a paycheck than we will for 
the wonderful gift of love that God gave just for you. You're the pearl of great price, Wes. So am I. And everything in heaven was sold to win you, to win me. If there was just one pearl, that's what the parable says, when he found one, if it was just you, Wes, or if it was just me, Jesus still would have emptied the vault of heaven to win us. It's an amazing thing to consider. So, Wes, thanks for the question. It is a question that's really important that we need to understand. You know, there's tension in our Bibles. You know, the the Christian who's not abiding in Christ is always going to feel guilty or always going to feel condemned, feeling like maybe they can or might lose their salvation. Um, The Christian that's abiding in Christ never feels like that. So what is the Bible telling us? The Bible's telling us to abide in Christ, and we won't have those kind of issues. Great question, Wes. Keep thinking about those things. And by the way, read Ephesians. Maybe you can read Ephesians tonight. Read the first three chapters a couple times, and you get to the fourth chapter, and it's all about what God wants us to do in response. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to our second and last half hour of the program 340-9585 for your live calls and questions you can email us with a question by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Here's a question from Reggie. Reggie said, what did Jesus mean that we can move mountains even with the littlest bit of faith? Reggie, that is a passage of scripture that the prosperity, faith, health and wealth churches have misused so badly uh, that we've forgotten the context that Jesus was speaking. Now, we need to remember, Reggie, that Jesus, his ministry was Jewish. It was two Jews. And his reference here is a reference to Zechariah chapter 4, a very famous passage of Scripture that we're all familiar with, um, beginning in, uh, I'm going to go back a couple of verses. Um, verse 6 says, uh, so he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was charged, by the way, with, with rebuilding the temple. Uh, the temple was a mess. Uh, here's what the word of the Lord to him was. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And then comes the question, what are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel you will become level ground? Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. Now, what's he talking about? In the Jewish mind, a mountain was symbolic of or representing uh, an immovable problem. You remember when Nehemiah went to um, um, rebuild the walls, the, the, the defense around Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity? Um, he saw that it was horrible. That there were, the the foundation was so cluttered that before they could do anything about rebuilding the world, they had to clean the, the uh, rebuilding the wall rather, they had to clean off all of the rubble. Uh, and it looked so bad. He had to go by horseback and he couldn't even, he had to get off his horse and, and he must have thought, oh this is much worse than I ever believed. Well, the same thing would be spoken to him as was spoken to Zerubbabel. Uh, this looks like an immovable mountain but just believe. Not only if you believe, but but I will provide the power, not by might nor by spirit, or not by strength or by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. So um, that's the reference Jesus was making, and if we forget that, we, we lose sense. Jesus isn't interested in moving mountains into seas. What he was just saying to the people of Israel is that these mountains roam. Roman rule, Roman oppression, Roman taxes. 
these mountains? Where is this Messiah we've been waiting for? If you just believe, just the tiniest bit of faith, I'm sure glad that Jesus didn't say, Reggie, that we needed a lot of faith. Just a little. And then we can stand back and see the hand of God move in our lives. So that's what he meant in that passage. Let's go to Mike calling from San Antonio. Mike, thanks for calling. You're on the air. I've got uh, two questions. Um, The first one is, if Jews didn't value pearls, um, then what what did Jesus mean when he said, do not cast your pearls before swine? And the second question is, um, uh, are you familiar with Aaron Budgen? He's got uh, a program about an hour and a half before yours. No, I'm not. Uh, well, he's uh, he's a a a Jewish rabbi who discovered uh, Christ as his Messiah. Um, I've listened to his shows a lot, and there he says the, that forgiveness of sins is not salvation, but salvation is the restoration of the whole, the Holy Spirit, and thus the the relationship with God, and so. He says the the entire world has already been forgiven. Um, it's just that they're not saved because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Um, and I, I I don't know what to believe with regard to that. It seems like he's saying the same thing that that we are. I don't think he's heretical in his teachings or anything. Um, I just I guess I, I'm not a Calvinist or anything, but I think I believe in a limited atonement. You know, that mm-hmm. everybody that was going to be saved, God took their sins and put it on Christ. And so, you know, his his death was enough for everybody, but it did not apply to everybody. Um, but mm-hmm. it seems like he's saying otherwise. And I'll, I'll go yeah, ahead and listen right. on the radio. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. That was a great observation, by the way. Um, uh, a couple of things. Um, you know, Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. Um, you're right. His death is efficacious for the whole world. There's not one person who dies and goes to hell that has to. Because Jesus died for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes would be saved. Now, obviously, Jesus knew there would be more people who wouldn't believe and thus be condemned than than who would believe. He said, there's two roads, a narrow road, if you find it, that's the road that leads to salvation. And there is a wide, well, well-traveled road that leads to destruction. That's the road that most of the world that we live in is on. But, but they're without excuse. It's not that they weren't chosen. I'm glad you said you weren't a Calvinist because you were starting to go there for a moment. Uh, Jesus' death was effective only for those who believe. It was a gift. It was an offer. And it doesn't sound to me like that's what he's saying. Now, because I haven't heard the program, uh, I I don't want to be unfair. But the way you explained it, Mike, would would seem to suggest um, uh, that he's saying something different than our typical understanding. Uh, We know that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. But we only become that righteousness, according to Ephesians chapter 2, by grace through faith, uh, by believing. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. The other thing you said, um, salvation, there's there's lots of elements to it. Um, And these elements can't be separated. You know, um, salvation begins with a rescue. The Bible is clear, Jesus' message, Paul's letters, Peter's letters, John's letters. Uh, it begins with a rescue mission. So salvation begins when we're rescued from something. But salvation is more glorious when we realize that we're rescued to something. So we're rescued from something. In writing to the churches in Thessalonica, uh, Paul talks about the ways of this world and lists a bunch of sins. And then turning back to the Thessalonians, he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were justified. So we're saved from sin and from the penalty of sin. But we're saved to a glorious eternity with Christ in heaven. There's another part of our salvation. 
And that's where saved to live, to live fruitful, abundant lives by the power of the Lord. So it's true that if somebody doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're not saved, they're going to go to hell. But um, um, the Holy Spirit comes only by believing. And again, that's a, a, a multi-step process in the sense that we're saved from something, but we're also gloriously saved to something else. One other thing to be careful of, Mike, when you're listening to uh, rabbis or or messianic Jews and God bless them. I'm grateful that they found Jesus. But here's the biggest problem is that they don't leave their Jewishness behind. You know, the, the most stubborn and difficult rabbi of all was Saul of Tarsus. And he left his Jewishness behind. When Peter or even Barnabas, I'm going to be talking about this in uh, our, our Friday night study in the book of Acts. When Peter or even Barnabas would begin to, to slip into their Jewishness again, uh, they were rebuked. Peter uh, confront, or Paul confronted Peter to the face. Why? Because uh, he was in danger of leading others into uh, a sense of needing to be Jewish in order to be saved. So um, the, the, the messianic perspective, uh, while again I'm grateful that, that Jews are coming to their Messiah, uh, what they need to do is learn, as the Bible teaches us from cover to cover, to throw off their Jewishness and accept the fact that God has made one body out of two, Jew and Gentile, coming together in Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 2. And it's just a, a glorious new life, free from the burdens. I'm teaching in Romans chapter 14 this Saturday or Sunday. And, um, you know, we're, we're dealing with the issue of legalism and dietary restrictions and those kind of things. And that doesn't sound exciting, but it's really good and important Bible study. Um, um, when Peter was told to rise and kill and eat, God was declaring all food clean. Um, there was no need to remain sort of stuck in a Jewish dietary law works mentality so just be careful as you're listening um, you, you sound very discerning and I think that's important now with regarding to the throw your pearls before swine uh, you're right Jews didn't like pearls by the way that makes the parable of the pearl of great price very interesting in a prophetic sense uh, but pearls were, were considered unclean and, and of no value to Jews um, but Jesus is telling them differently. And when he said, Mike, not to throw our, cast our pearls before swine, basically what he's saying is if you're trying to tell somebody the gospel, they don't want to hear it, stop talking. Go find somebody who will listen. And that's what Jesus did, you know. He would um, leave uh, a city, his hometown. He couldn't do many miracles there because they, they, they simply wouldn't believe because of unbelief. And Jesus... Um, would wipe the dust off his feet. Uh, he, Paul would say the same thing. He would declare the gospel, now I'll take my message to Gentiles. So that's what he's talking about there. Don't cast your pearls that Gentiles will appreciate. Don't cast your pearls before pigs, those who reject Jesus Christ. Now, I want to be sure everybody doesn't, there's no misunderstanding. Nobody is calling Jews who don't believe in Jesus pigs. Jesus is simply saying, that when people stop listening, we need to stop talking. Thank you very, very much, uh, Mike. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. As a follow up on Aaron Budgen, uh, my producer looked it up for me. I uh, said the radio program has provided Aaron with the opportunity to document many of the insights the Lord has revealed to him through his studies of comparing the ministry of the Lord Jesus with the Pharisaical Judaism of his time. Now, Mike, if, if, and that's come from his website. That's from his website. That's a huge red flag, a huge, huge, huge red flag. So um, we don't compare Jesus' ministry to the ministry of the Pharisees, not in any fashion or form. Uh, that's a really, really destructive perspective. Here is an anonymous question that was sent in. How do you respond to well-known Christians who change their views on things like gay marriage or abortion. Anonymous, when people throw away the Bible, 
one of my famous sayings here at Calvary Chapel is never throw away something you're sure of for that which you're not sure about. And when uh, these well-known Christian celebrities, musicians, and and others, um, um, home and garden TV people even, uh, now there's a, a woman and her husband whose whole ministry has embraced uh, the homosexual lifestyle as approved by God. How did it happen? Well, it happened because they threw away the Bible. They lost their rock. They lost that foundation and they began being influenced by the world. Now, here's what we all need to understand. The minute you start throwing away the Bible or even parts of the Bible, what you're going to end up with is is a Christian who has been persuaded by the world that the Bible's not the Word of God. If the Bible's the Word of God, God never changes, we can't change. Now, people say, well, I've just done a lot of studying, and my view has evolved, and here's what I've re-. Well, you're wrong. It's very simple. If what you have come up with is in contradiction to what the Word says, then you're wrong. And anonymous, when well-known people change their views on things, it's because they never really had a view in the first place. There was never any meaningful uh, value in those passages of Scripture. And again, we're all going to be convinced by this world that, that what the world says is okay is okay. But that's what Isaiah 5 said. That's a time when people call good evil and evil good. And when these people change their minds, you have to wonder, what did they ever really believe, or what do they believe? Is there anything that they believe now? When we throw away the Bible, when we stop believing it is the Word of God, then we're going to believe anything. And that's why we Christians have to take a stand. That's why Paul talks about being immovable, steadfast, stand firm. Jude says we're to contend earnestly for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And so when people come around and they start changing their minds, the truth is they never knew anything for sure at all. One of the saddest things, and this is happening to some pastors that I know, they're being convinced by worldly arguments that things that God says are not okay are somehow now okay. And imagine when a pastor changes. I know one pastor who has gone the whole gamut from being a hardcore Calvinist to um, um, now in a, a very liberal denomination. And he wonders why his church never had anybody in it. Well, the answer is because God can't send people he loves to the shepherd who doesn't know where he's going. So when people change their views on these things, things that the Bible is crystal clear about. Those are people anonymous that we need to avoid. They, they False teachers, they become false teachers. I don't think they start out that way, but I just think what happens is they get tired of people in the world saying things to them like, you believe that? So, hope that helps. Let's go to Jonestown now and talk with Dale on line one. Dale, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, thanks, Pastor Ron. I uh, just wanted to call in maybe with some uh, some gentle clarification on Aaron Budgen. Uh, I listened to him and has really gotten a lot of uh, great information. Uh, he was studying to be a rabbi and during that process uh, accepted mm-hmm. Jesus as the Messiah, so he never actually became a rabbi. Um, he confessed eventually in the synagogue, and uh, he tends to teach more um, in a historic way. Uh, for understanding, so when he's comparing the uh, the Pharisaical Judaism to the ministry of Jesus Christ, uh, he's doing it more in the sense of why the Pharisees were so wrong and what uh, the Lord Jesus was saying to the Pharisees uh, and how they would have been hearing it in the historical concept, but he's not at all messianic and actually um, criticizes the messianic Jews. Okay. Well, Dale, thank you for the clarification. I will listen to him and and uh, come up with my own take. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. See, that's that's instructive because that statement on his website w- would seem to to um, be in conflict with that. But uh, Dale has called before, and and um, um, you know he might turn out to be a modern day um, 
Edersheim, which would be uh, glorious and be wonderful. So, Dale, I appreciate that very, very much. Let's go to line two and talk with Ben. Ben, thank you for calling. You're on the air. How you doing, Pastor Ron? Doing well. Thank you, Ben. Um, so I have a question, and it just goes back to uh, uh, talking to people about uh, t- about Jesus and who he is. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, if, if they don't want to hear it, to just go ahead and stop. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, my question is, you know, if you have a family member or a friend and, uh, you know, you, you, you witness to him about Christ and uh, th- they get upset or they don't want to hear it. And so, so like me, I'll, I'll just stop. I'll stop talking because I don't want to get into an argument with them. But mm-hmm. is it is it wrong to to continue to to witness to them about Christ? You know, not not the same day or the, at that moment, but at a later time or another day or you know, whenever I feel the opportunity arises. You know, um, but it's still maybe with a certain friend that the outcome is still the same. You know, hey, I don't want to talk about this, or I'm starting to get upset. You know, is it wrong to just mm-hmm. keep bringing it up? Well, I think Ben, when you're when you're asked a direct question, I think I think the only answer we have is Jesus, and and I run into similar situations like this. Uh, people who say they don't want to talk about Jesus. There's a lady at the gym who really likes Paula. I mean, they, she they exchange recipes and. And, and this lady said, but you always just talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about Jesus. Can we talk about anything else? Well, uh, you know, she keeps coming to Paula for for counsel. Uh, I have people that tell me, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, but they'll ask me for advice. I'll say, look, i got nothing else to give you but Jesus. So in that sense, I'm being consistent and continue to witness. But I'm also aware uh, of how hard people's hearts get uh, the more often they say no, the easier, as I said earlier, it is to keep saying no. So I just usually get to a place where uh, I just ask them the question, look, why are you asking me this? You know what I'm going to say, and you've already told me you don't want to hear it. And usually, Ben, when, it, when, when they keep coming back, when opportunities keep coming up, or they keep discussing problems that they have in their life, usually that's an indication to me that the Holy Spirit is working on their hearts. I was brutal when Paula or anybody else would share Jesus with me before I got saved. But but I think sometimes the more difficult people become, the closer they really are to getting saved. So when, when we're witnessing to people, whether it's family members, co-workers, or just neighbors or friends, um, they tell, I don't want to hear about Jesus. Say, okay. But then you keep talking like you always do, like Jesus is right there with you. And they're going to see something in your life that they're missing. And um, when they come back to you, you can be bold and say, look, just like I told you a minute ago, why do you keep asking me questions? You know the answer is Jesus. You know that's all I got for you. And if you don't want him, then your life is going to continue to be messed up. If you really want help, then come to me. Be ready for Jesus. Right. Okay. That help? Pastor Ron. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. God bless. Those are hard ones, especially family members, isn't it? They don't want to hear. Uh, we have we have people who uh, don't want to, don't want us to pray at holiday events and things like that. Just say, no, this house belongs to Jesus. We're going to do it. You don't want to do it. That's okay. Here is a question from Leah. Leah says, a friend says that she's done with church, but still believes in Jesus. How can I help her see what she's doing is wrong? Leah, I would ask her, point blank, um, how can you believe in Jesus and not do what he says? And then just be quiet and let her answer the question. Just be quiet, let her answer the question. Because she has to wrestle with it. Jesus said that we're a part of a body that we need one another. What we've got to do is understand that we don't have the right or the choice, the option of not being a part of a body. If we're a Christian, we're a part of a body. You know, I've told unbelievers, they say, well, I'm going to heaven. I would say, well, you don't believe in Jesus. Only Christians are going to be there. You don't want anything to do with Christians here. Why would you want to go to heaven? The answer is usually to escape hell, but You need to make people think about the things that they say. 
And we're in a time where people can listen to messages online. They don't have to go in fellowship. Uh, everywhere the Bible speaks about the body and fellowship, Leah, um, the body talks about the vitality, the importance of being a part of Jesus' body. It is so frustrating to me when, when Christians act as though they have a choice of not going to church. So tell her to wrestle with Jesus on this issue. And if somebody says something like, well, you know, it's my only day off, there's other things I can do, direct them to the warnings against spiritual slothfulness in the book of Hebrews. Ask them how they would feel about somebody speaking about them. You're a professing Christian. What would you, how would you feel if somebody was accusing you the way you're accusing other Christians. Truth is, we're lazy, spiritually lazy church culture. We think we're okay the way we are. We think we got things covered. There's no Christian that can go it alone. And the Christian who is not part of a body, who's not serving that body, is a fleshy, carnal, immature Christian who's likely not even a real Christian at all. I say likely because there are exceptions. But you can't say, Jesus, I love you, but your bride is ugly. You can't say, Jesus, I love you, but I'd rather be out surfing or golfing or fishing or something. And pray for her, Leah, because she's in a spiritual battle. Hey, good show today. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate the calls. I especially appreciate your call, Dale. Uh, I will check out Aaron Budgen. Thank you very, very much. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 on the Wednesday edition of the program. See you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.